Welcome to the Top Order podcast. Cricket galore going on around the world. Top Order boys excited about a trip to Eden Park tomorrow for the first T20 Black Caps Pakistan. But on tonight's show, we are going to talk a little bit of Australia, Pakistan. David Warner's farewell legacy and his replacement's been named. So we'll mm-hmm. talk about that. We've got the performance across the 3-0 series victory, but Baldy, of course, is unhappy. We've got New Zealand stuff, if time allows, the Bangladesh T20s, the Pakistan series, a bit of Super Smash, and also some T20 World Cup news with the pools being announced. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, three of us here this evening. Why do you always laugh at that bit? <laughs> we always start with well, boys, and it makes me laugh every time. Well, it's like a little... I know. It's a it's little great. thing. It's like the ending. Anyway, it's boys. Um, <laughs> oh, boys. Oh, boys. Anyway, um, channeling Gavin and Stacey now. We're going to talk Australia, Pakistan. So lots of talking points mm-hmm. throughout the course of the series. I, I think the thing that's dominated the press has been... You know, David Warner's self-penned fairy tale. Um, his book will come out, I'm sure, in due course. And we'll, um, yeah, strange he said it's going to be about 2,000 pages or something like that. Um, I doubt whether he's read 2,000. Anyway, let's not go into that. Um, but his farewell, his legacy, the replacement for the series that's coming up against the West Indies. There's a Cricket Australia game going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. West Indies going well in that game. Mm, they are. Um, currently against let's be honest not a particularly strong cricket Australia 11 but I guess the main talking point is who's going to replace David Warner there's been lots of press there's been lots of I guess the same old arguments that you hear that when you get your new South Wales cap you also get your baggy green cap Um, conveniently forgetting perhaps that the incumbent um, or the guy that's going to probably bat at for Cameron Green is from Western Australia and so is Cameron Bancroft as well. So mm-hmm. um, it kind of puts that conspiracy theory to bed. But Steve Smith has put his hand up to open the batting. We've got to come to you first, Baldy, really, with your thoughts on, um, I guess, whether that's the right thing to do and, and what that what that means for this West Indies series, which, let's face it, Australia are going to win comfortably. Yeah, I've been puzzling quite a lot this this week and my puzzle has become quite sore to the point where I, I went to the supermarket and I bought all the packets of cereal that I could to try and find a secret decoder ring to help me understand the selection <laughs> process here. Because honestly, it, it's very, very confusing if you have a look at the credentials of the three guys who were slated to replace David Water yep. in the test side moving forward. And also, if you look at the permutations of how those like situations could pan out and you think about... Steve Smith opening the batting as opposed to a, a Bancroft, a, a, a Marcus Harris or Matt Renshaw. I'm going to read you their records, right? I'm going to put their names out. I'm going to read you their records. And I want, to tell, I want you guys to tell me who you think is the best credentialed player based on shield form to replace David Warner if they were going to choose one of these openers, right? Yeah. 1,457 runs at 58 with 600s. 863 or 883 runs at 35 with 300s 658 runs at 39 with 200s <laughs> well, that's pretty that you don't really need us to answer that question i don't right no now if you have a look at that record if you have a look at player a 1457 and then you look at player two and player d player a has almost as many runs as player two and player D put together <laughs> in the Sheffield Shield, and he's got more hundreds than them combined. The guy with the 600s is Cameron Bancroft. He has not been mentioned once in the selection discussion other than to say that his comments around Sandpaper Gate in South, in South Africa four or five years ago and again in 2021 had nothing to do with his selection. I've seen heaps of this online now and like heaps of people commenting about this, you know, former players, media people. Is it like, what's the big deal though? Because realistically, I know like those stats obviously very, very clear about who is in the better form, who is, you know, but realistically you're picking someone as a replacement batter. Like the Bancroft wasn't going to come in and open because as we've just touched on, Steve Smith has, it appears, said... I'll, give, I'll do it. And that means that they can get Cameron Green in, who they've been kind of deciding between Cameron Green and Mitchell Marsh. But Mitchell Marsh has made it very clear over the past 12 months that he kind of has to be in that lineup. Yes. So Australia's basically said, well, we're just going to pick our six best players and we're going to figure them out in terms of where they best fit. So like, why is it such a big deal that Bancroft isn't in the squad because he's not going to play anyway? 
Well, because he's the best credentialed of the three that they have could pick from, and they've picked the guy who's probably the least credentialed if you look at Sheffield Shield form over the last two or three years. If you have a look at their records over three years, they even out in terms of runs a little bit, but Bancroft still has them both covered almost put together in terms of runs. He averages 51 in Shield cricket over the last three seasons combined, and he's got more hundreds than Harris and Renshaw put together. So if you're talking about picking the best six batters in the country – Cameron Bancroft is in that conversation ahead of the other two at the moment. If you're going to pick your that, best, that, if you're going to pick your best batters, Cameron Bancroft is light years ahead of Harrison Renshaw on Shield form. Light years ahead of them. So you can't have the argument that we're going to pick our best batters and not pick Bancroft. You can't pick Matt Renshaw because he's got better versatility. Because basically, what you're saying is by putting Smith up to open, versatility is irrelevant. It doesn't matter where you traditionally bat. We'll bat Kawaja at the top. He's been traditionally a number three we're going to bat smith at the top he's never opened the batting in first class cricket ever really never he's never opened in first class cricket now he's going to go and do it in a test match albeit against the west indies so what about cameron bancroft's record makes it a cricketing decision because that's what the selectors have said they have said that this is a cricketing decision and not anything to do with his previous comments in 2021 or his actions in 2018. Now, Cameron Bancroft played Test Cricket in 2019 and then was dropped from the side. He played in, played in India just recently, didn't he? he he's, so he's played, in, he's played Test Cricket since he's been banned. He's come back into the team. He did make some pretty... He, he made some comments in 2021 that if you're in the bowling unit, I think you could potentially take that the wrong way and, and, and maybe that could cause fractures in the dressing room. But Cummins has called Bancroft to say that that's not, that's not an issue. If, if this is a cricketing decision, the selectors have got it wrong if they're looking at Sheffield Shield form. Uh, yeah, so th- th- I think that that's the key point here is you, we're talking about a cricketing decision and we're talking about Sheffield Shield form and those those two things aren't the same. So I think if you look at the, the way that most teams now select that their, um, their teams, there's a little bit that goes on analytics that are outside of sheer weight of run and whether we agree with that or not mm. um you know england have you know for example picked guys like zach crawley um and we were having this conversation before the ashes and then all of a sudden he goes out and he scores 189 in one of those test match he hits the first ball of the series for four he, he looks like a world beater even though his stats don't suggest uh suggest that and um, one of the most interesting sort of pieces of commentary i've seen on this is a piece that dan brettig um put out he went and looked at um essentially sheffield shield um single season run scoring mm. um and a lot of the argument was around how cameron bancraft had had the best season but when you then look at the past 20 odd seasons of sheffield shield cricket and look at the leading run scorers when australia were in their pomp there were guys like katich and matthew elliott and uh, Jamie yeah. Siddons and Jamie Cox and a whole host well, of Hussey other players. Hussey was there for a long time. Hussey Hodge. scoring, you know, 12, 13, 14, 1500 runs in a Shield season. Bancroft scored just under a thousand in that in that Shield season. But um, no one else got more than 500. Yeah, I, I understand that, Baldy. Uh, and I, I guess where this comes from is that Australia have picked what they believe are their best six or seven batters. And to Lippy's point, they're now just shuffling the pack and saying, well, the, the next cab off the rank, we've picked someone else other than um, a Bancroft because we think it's irrelevant around batting position. So I, I think the gripe here is that they're in in in, the t- in terms of what a lot of the ex-players are saying, they're devaluing the role of the specialist opener and saying, you know, we can pick someone who's never opened the batting before to open the batting, and and that's a better option than picking the best opener that's playing in Sheffield yep. Shield cricket at the moment. So, I, mate, I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just I'm just putting across because yeah, I can't the, understand it, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm just putting across the you know the the, the the counter argument, and ultimately what they're probably saying is we think we get a better uh, return, a little bit like you know Billy Bean and the Oakland A's that they think that that's the best way of scoring the but amount uh, of runs they uh, need can to I, win can a Can we test unpack match. that? Can we yeah, unpack yeah. that really really quickly? Because I, I did some work on this today. Um, okay. Smith averages, let's say for the sake of the argument, he averages 55 batting at four in test cricket. Let's say that there's some regression over the back end of his career. So going forward, let's say he averages somewhere between 45 and 50. That's probably fair. You right? mean future, like at in, in the future, from now to the end of his career, we think Steve Smith, having averaged 43 this year, probably averages somewhere between 45 and 50 for the remainder of his career okay. at batting at four. That's, sure. that's yep. reasonable. Fair. Do you think that that's a reasonable return for a guy batting at four 
in in that position for a, for any test site somewhere between 45 and pretty 50. impressive pretty yes. good pretty good return right okay do we think cameron green is going to average between 45 and 50 batting at four for australia going forward over the next say four or five years in the same time frame that that steve smith would normally bat at that position for australia you know i think it's actually really hard to tell because i think that we we've seen what cameron we i don't think we've seen cameron green as a batter you know really in this in his international career so far he's been mm. like i do think it is very different kind of batting where he's been batting the pressure and kind of your responsibility and your role batting completely at, at different six, batting at seven, it, it's very different to what you're going to do at four so i think the selectors must feel that way i think that if you look at his shield form and his career so far that's what he came up as right he came up for wa as someone who batted for and dominated to, to kind of get into that Australian side. Yes, he did. But let's have a look at the history of Test cricket and see what that past performance can tell us about future prediction. How many guys do you reckon have, t- have batted in Test cricket, made 1,000 runs and taken 150 wickets? We think, because Cameron Grimm, we think will probably end up taking about 150 wickets in his career. Two you to say? 20. No, two. Sobers? Callis. And Callis. Okay. Batted at four. No, at no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where they're batted. Guys who have made 1,000 runs... Averaging forty plus oh, and taken and taken one hundred and fifty wickets. Okay, so didn't hear the average criteria. Yeah, yeah. okay, but but yeah. no one no one else has averaged more than forty. Mm. Stokes thirty six, Botham thirty three, Flintoff thirty one, Keith Miller thirty seven, and twenty two with the ball. So if we think that Cameron Green is going to average more than forty and give Australia contributions at all with the ball, we're talking about having an expectation that Cameron Green's career is better than Keith Miller's, better than Imran Khan's, better than Kapil Debs, better than Chris Cairns, better than all of those players if we're expecting him to average more than 40 with the bat and any kind of contribution with the ball, which so is incredible to me. So your suggestion really is saying you would pick, you would say Cameron Green, you're not like Cameron Green, you either have to open, the, the spots that are available are opening or at number six and you have to beat out Mitch Marsh for the number six spot or five spot or whatever it is that's available and then someone else has to open well, you, what, you're saying that the you think that the gap between what Smith is might lose by going up as an opener is kind of not worth it is that the suggestion uh, my suggestion is that Australia are going to lose more by having Cameron Green at number four than they will by having Steve Smith at number four they're going to lose somewhere between five and ten minimum runs and innings having Smith uh, Green at four as compared to Steve Smith if Smith averages roughly between 45 and 50 and Green gets anywhere close to averaging 40 with the bat he Mm. might he might he might surprise us he might join a very elite company of cricketers that have averaged 40 with the bat and taken 150 wickets or so I would be quite surprised yeah look Baldy you know we we can we can look at pulling stats from all kinds of places to, to, to kind of highlight an, an argument I, I guess from an, an Australian perspective and I, I tend to agree like there isn't a massive sample size for either of those guys currently no Bancroft's played 10 tests and averages bugger all 33 34 something yeah. like that right um so I've got it here so he's played 10 tests and averages 26 <laughs> Unless Crick Info's... No, 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 you're right. Because Harris, Harris averages 25. Yeah. At, at, Renshaw averages at, 30. And off. Green's played 20, uh, you know, 24 test matches and averages 33. Yeah. So for me, if the argument is of the two Camerons, then I know who I'm picking because I've got a guy that is going to average more with the bat, offers a little bit with the ball, Um and I think Steve Smith is going to average more than Bancroft batting up the, batting order. Up the order. And then there's a plus minus that, yes, he might not achieve his career average opening the batting because someone might finally tear his pad off with a new ball um, or, or <laughs> nick him off. Um, and he might end up averaging 40 as an opener. And yet, then his average regresses to your... Uh, you know, you're 45 over the course of his career because he, you know, he knocks off some points in the 20 Test matches where he opens. But mm. I still think that if if this was an Ashes summer and you were giving me the option of Cameron Bancroft opening the batting um, as an Englishman, I'd be like, yeah, take that every day ahead of what 
that lineup's going to look like and, yeah. and who the spare battery is it, coming it, in. It's an interesting one. And no matter, I think no matter what happens, Australia are going to regress a little bit now that we've lost David Warner. I think regardless of whether or not you see him as yeah. the best the best opener that's ever played or somewhere, Definitely in, not. Some, somewhere in the middle, Australia are going to regress a little bit. And yeah. I think how much they regress is is an appetite for the selectors to have decided. And I think they're actually what they're saying is we're happy for Australia to regress a little bit at the number four position yep. in order to have that future look about them um, and hope that Green's average goes from 33 somewhere closer to 40. Because we're going to need that if we're going to continue to be successful as a test team. Yeah, you, you mentioned Warner before. I do think we should talk about him a little bit because... Do we have uh, to? Well, I think we kind of do. Like, I know he is. The thing is, that this farewell tour, he's still playing, isn't he? He's going to play in these T20 series. He's going to play uh, again in the T20 World Cup. He's good, like we're gonna. He's going to see him in the IPL and his, then all the build-up. His final game is the 26th of July, 2027. Um, and he's going to wear green socks and he's yeah. going to have a banana and uh, strawberry smoothie for breakfast. It's exactly. a great, it's a great so, script, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. There's still, I've, I still feel like we're going to be talking about David Warner, but, you know, I, I think his contribution to Test Cricket, as you said, for Australia has been, it's been pretty impressive. Whatever you want to say, I think you can pull out the arguments about his home record versus his away record, which is one of the most stark of all time. If people don't know, it's like 57 to 31 or something, I think I... I've yeah, got there we go. 58, 58 at home. Yeah. Best all time of, of players who've got a thousand runs. Best yep. all time of any opener. And then away, 33 and a bit, I think. 33 and change. And I did, yeah, 33.87. Of the guys who've scored a thousand runs, about 40 opening batters have scored a thousand runs away from home. His average is 35th. Mm. If you go to 2,000 runs, his average is last. 33rd, 3,000 plus runs, his average is 14th. But at home, Best best opening average of all time of, yeah. of any cricketer of any nation um, across any of those categories. Yeah, but uh, look, so yeah, you know, you can debate. Like, we could have a long, long debate about where he kind of sits in the pantheon. We mm. sort of did that when we when we did our Hall of Fame. We talked about him at that point a couple of years ago. Now I think he was sitting, you know, right around the hundred mark of of male Test cricketers. But I think that you can see his value. Like we saw his value in this series, right? You know, he he didn't quite get the fairy tale finish that he was there to hit the winning runs. You know, very very close. He kind of got all all the way there, and then the LBW decision uh, went against him. But you know, he got the the he set the platform for the series. He got the only hundred of the series, and it was a as Raj would say, a big daddy hundred that set up the series for Australia, set up that first innings and set them up for a win, you know? And then the, the series just kind of went from there. So I, I do think he'll be missed. And, you know, it's sort of fascinating, I suppose, for me in the, you know, trying to project out in the future. There's all the off-field stuff for Warner as well. You know, you mentioned Sandpaper Gate and all of that. I do wonder in 10 years' time, kind of, like, does that disappear? And people are like, okay, what, you know, where, what, how do we look back on David Warner's career? It'll be, mm. it'll be fascinating to sort of see how that develops. It will, and I don't think it will disappear because we we know that he's going to end up in the commentary box pretty soon. And, and his his comments, his personality, his place in the media and in the in the now in the cricket press will become front and centre. And I think he's not going to be shy of being critical of players. I think he's going to give us what he's always given us, a very forthright set of points of view that potentially are very divisive in the cricket community. Certainly in Australian fans, there are groups that love David Warner. There are groups that dislike David Warner. And you can make, as Adam would, would say, you can make the numbers tell the story that you want them to tell whether or not you want to talk about average and and away records or strike rates and how how he dominated you know teams yeah. at home the, look, there's no there's no doubt he's had a massive impact coming from t20 cricket um almost unheard of and and then you know turning himself into a, a very good test match opener <laughs> and which is high praise for you a, an impactful player um is he better than you know, Hayden, is he better than Rohit Sharma? Is he better than Graham Smith? Is he better than Alistair Cook? We, we can have those debates um, and, you know, we can go further back, in, you know, into the into the record books, you know, Sutcliffe, Hobbs, whoever, whoever you want to name, mm. uh, Gavaska. Um, so, I, I, again, there's a bit of recency bias probably to, to, to how much we're lauding him. Um, will he go down as a great of Australian cricket? I think probably the off the field stuff has probably tarnished that reputation a little bit. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be doing the, you know, Victor Trumper, David Warner stepping out to drive trophy in pewter um, in a limited edition of 200, but he's going to be in the conversation. Mm. But I think in five, 10 years' time, when you're naming your 
um, greatest ever Australian test side. I, I still think you're going to be talking about, um, you know, a Matthew Hayden at the top of your batting order, well ahead of a, uh, of a David Warner. Um, but hey, you know, I'm sure we'll have that debate at some point on the, on the podcast. Well, and I, and I think that the to sort of put in a bow on that conversation, I think that you see his impact in the conversation that we just had. Right? It's been ages. I feel like since we've actually had a conversation about the Aussie batting lineup. You know, the, the, a selection dilemma for Australia, apart mm. from, you know, some of the bowling stuff, but that was sort of because someone like Scott Boland had gone so well and it's like, how do we get him in there? Because he's gone so well. Well, that's part of the green conversation. How do we get, how do we get yeah, that guy in green there? Yeah, and, and green and Marsh. You know, they're both such good players. How do we get them in there? It's never been a, oh, we have a hole now. How do we kind of fix that? Yep. I think Australia are going to have the same pain over the next three or four years that England had when Cook retired and England had when Strauss retired. Warner had 12 opening partners over the course of his test career. I think Australia are going to end up depending on how this Smith experiment goes, particularly if Kawaja's only got another 18 months to two years left himself, are going to go through a number of different, potentially a number of different openers before I, we find another long-term solution who may only be in the infancy of their of their first-class career. You know, you mentioned New South Wales. Constance um, is, is a new player. Chandra Singer for Victoria. Yeah. Teague Wiley, who's playing number mm, three that, in that Cricket Australia uh, 11. There's lots of different options. We don't know who it's going to be yet. Uh, and that's the interesting thing about this conversation for, for me in terms of Steve Smith opening the bank because the selectors know all of that information. So I, I ultimately think they've made a decision that Bancroft isn't the long-term option. Mm. And, you know, th they want to get as much as they can out of Kawaja hopefully the Smith experiment works for them and they're not scrabbling around and, and they're probably waiting for that weight of runs from some of those young guys that you've talked about coming through or maybe Will Pukowski comes back yeah. um, you know c coming back should we talk a little bit about the cricket and, and the series yeah, let's do. The, the series win so um, Lippy as always has done the prep and written the, the run notes but I said you seem unhappy even though it's a 3-0 victory is, is that true and if so why? I'm not unhappy. I'm, I'm just a little bit frustrated um, with this Australian team this summer. Um, spoiled, spoiled. Look, it's the, these are good problems to have. But if you have a look at the performance in their Pakistan series, it's indicative of this Australian team over the last 18 months in that they're very, very good. But this Australian team, particularly with when, when it had Warner in it, had the potential to go to another level and, and elevate themselves alongside some of those great cricket teams that we've seen in the past 25 or 30 years. And they never quite got there for me. And the reason that they haven't is that they haven't been clinical enough when they put themselves in good positions in test matches. We've seen it in this series, particularly with the bat, but also on a couple of occasions with the ball, where Australia got themselves in really, really good positions and then didn't take full advantage of that of of that situation that they got themselves into. I think Australia on a number of occasions in this series left a bunch of runs out there with the bat. Mm. Even when they got 480-odd in that first innings in Perth, I thought Australia could have got 550 in that test match and really put a huge advantage on, on Pakistan. We got lots and lots of starts in this series, but as you said, Stu, only Warner went on and got 100. And we had a number of situations where we had really good starts in innings and then lost six or seven for 100 or five for 100 to finish out the innings and didn't really take advantage of that of that situation, particularly against an attack that was honest. We talk about Amir Jamal had a very good series. Salman Aga had a very, very good series. But this isn't the same quality or credential of Pakistan attacks that we've seen even in the last couple of years with Shaheen and, and Harris Ralph and, um, and um, Nassim Shah. Not the same level of attack. Australia could have really dominated this team and they failed to do so with the ball, uh, with the bat. And with the ball, we had a number of occasions where we had Pakistan really on the ropes, particularly in this last test when they were five for 90 and they ended up getting 313. They were 227 for nine. And we really let ourselves down with our tactics against the tail. We persisted with short pitch bowling, mm. whereas we could have just gone, okay, you know what? We'll try that for two or three overs. If it doesn't work, we're going to go back to bowling fourth or fifth stump. Because if we can nick off the top six, bowling fourth stump and wobbling the ball about a bit, we can nick off the tail doing that. And I've, that's the thing that frustrated me from an Australian perspective is we were good enough to be awesome and we were only good enough in the Test Series as a whole to be kind of very good. 
I yeah. think you, you're winning the big moments, though, aren't you? Like that's you know you talked about the last eighteen months. I think you know we've seen Australia just winning or when they need to, they they turn up and they win all of those big um, moments. It looks like it. I mean, if you look at the World Test Championship final, if you look at the first two tests of the Ashes series, that's true. But then if you look at the last three tests of the Ashes series, we didn't take advantage and win those big moments. We didn't win the big moments enough to win the series in India. So again, while that is true, particularly at home. Those kind of ruthless clinical instincts that Australia haven't quite mastered yet but are hopefully going to improve under Cummins' leadership, who knows, are the things that separate really good teams from excellent teams and yeah. teams that can win away on a regular yeah. basis. I, I, I don't I, yeah, look, I, I don't sort of actually disagree with you with your premise. I think when you look at the victory margins of those test matches, you know, even that test you you, you win your amount not scoring five fifty and you get four nineteen <laughs> win by three hundred and fifty runs. I, I think the the difference I think between that you know a good a very very good Australian side and and the great ruthless Australian sides I think what we didn't see in this series was Travis Head uh, didn't really contribute throughout yep. the course of the series and I think as well like uh, Alex Carey I know he had a couple of contributions but he didn't have those kind of Gilchrist like contributions he got 40 or 50 he didn't come in and go right the platform's there we're 300 for five mm. and i'm gonna make this 500 for seven um and and score and he's not that player no marshes so, marshes and yeah, he had Mar a pretty marsh, good series and marsh had a pretty yep. pre yeah pretty pretty good uh pretty good series so um a, a word about pakistan um yeah i guess we've talked a, a little bit about them i know i was keen to see them do well in the world cup and they, they probably didn't perform as they would have wanted but what what did you see from them in this Series chopping and changing with the selection, you know, Safraz keeping wicket in the first game, then Rizwan comes in. There seems to be a little bit of sort of you know, not a lack of clarity really in terms of their selections. I mean, I mean, I think look when we, I mean, we talked about the fact that there was only one hundred in the series. I think if you look at the Pakistan average batting averages, you kind of understand what's like what's gone yeah. wrong for them. Well, that and their catching. You know, they they missed so many opportunities to. They, they got in those positions, you think of 16 for four and, and all of these other times where they put Australia under pressure, but they'd drop the catch or they'd, they'd do something and they'd let Australia kind of get away and then they'd get starts with the bat and they'd get out. And, you know, I think, where have I got it? I've got it somewhere, the Pakistan batting averages. Rizwan averaged 48 in that series and the next is Shan Masood with 30. So you're not going to win many series in Australia if, you're only, if you know, your, your second best average in the series is 30 because you know that when you go over there, you have to kind of put up, put up decent scores. Big scores, you have to put up 400. Yeah, particularly in the first innings, you kind of have to put up a score and then go about your business trying to take the 20 wickets in the, in the innings. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that... Realistically, I don't think we ever expected them to win this series. I think they've been an up and down side for a long time. They've shown glimpses. They are having their own troubles with trying to get their best players on the park. You know, even Shaheen of Shah Afridi was rested from that third test. You know, whether if it was one all, maybe I think they might have made a different decision. The fact that it was two nil, but you think every test counts now for the World Test Championship, and not playing him is is a dent to your chances. As much as you want to say, okay, he's coming over here now to play a T20 series that then leads on to your T20 World Cup. I think, yeah, you're. I mean, we talked last week about devaluing Test cricket and and all the other white ball formats. I, I think that's another sign that you know teams are, are not necessarily prioritising Test cricket anymore. So that's a bit of a shame. I, I think that you know the big positive they're going to take out is Amir Jamal, as you mentioned before. I mean, he he's someone. I mean, do you guys know what he's why he's? I looked it up. I thought okay, he's like a youngster bursting onto the scene. Twenty seven. Mm. What? Why is it taking him so long? To it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's, it's really odd. I don't know enough about his history. I, you know, you look at his cricket. Yeah, again, I don't know much. You look at his cricket info. He played Pakistan nineteens. So like, it's not like someone who's developed late mm. and then they've only seen the potential. You know, from twenty five to twenty. Listeners, viewers on the in the comments. As, yeah, stick us in the comments if you if you know why it's taken him to develop. Where maybe there was injuries early on in his uh, in his twenties or something, or yeah, send us a tweet or, or comment. But because I mean, he he gives a gives it a whack, bowls at decent wheels. I, I think he's got to be. He's got a bit of skill about him yeah, as well. Yeah, there's got there's got to be some injury in there because yeah, when you kind of look back and you talk about his nineteen credentials, that's you know eight nine years ago. Yeah, and um, he's only played. And he's only played thirty on yeah. first task games in that in that period of time and bugger all t20 so um, yeah I, th I think probably a bit a bit of injury in there and um, a word about the captaincy everything that pat cummins touches at the moment 
turns to gold. I've seen quite a lot of commentary around this. You know, is he the best captain in world cricket at the moment? He, he seems to be improving tactically as well. Um, I mean, yes and no. Uh, yes, in, insofar as the, the four wickets with the short balls worked, but then the next hour and a half really didn't work. <laughs> and there was no other plan other than to continue bowling short balls to Amir Jamal, who smashed them all over the place. So, I mean, yes, he has done some really, really good things with his captaincy. And if you want to just isolate those, he's had a terrific terrific series against Pakistan but if you look at it in totality I think there is still do we have a good plan B, C and D good good cricket sides have good plans B, C and D and I think Australia haven't really developed terrific terrific secondary tertiary plans for when that kind of primary plan doesn't go right so still some work to be done but definite improvement this year over last so things are trending in the right direction for Pat Cummins that's for sure and hey if he's making every post a winner and and winning those big moments that's what you want your captain to do right yeah exactly and it's sort of that sort of question kind of got me thinking about Australia as a whole right and why like, I'm really curious at why they are so good at home because, you know, obviously, let's put a well, maybe it is just because they are a very good cricket side and, you know, compared compared to all the other nations, as much as, you you know, you're striving for greatness, which is awesome, putting them, like, trying to get them to the level of some of the great Australian test sides and obviously feel that that's a, that's a realistic possibility. But, you know, maybe it's just that they are better than everyone else at the moment. You look at their home record... It's it's amazing. They they've won. You know, I think I've got it down here somewhere. They uh, where are they? Who knows where I've gone? But they've the last. I think it's now twenty eight tests. They've won twenty eight of their last thirty seven tests at home. Five draws, four losses. Two of those draws are you know four of the, four of those or all of those losses are against India. Two of the draws are against India. So India is really the only side that's been able to come to Australia and challenge. And actually, you know, all this talk about pitches. I feel like Australian pitches maybe are the the least, uh, you know, one one of the more even, I guess, that you can go to Australia with kind of any sort of cricket side potentially and ha- actually be able to challenge. They, you know, they are well suited to their bowlers, but that's because they've got three amazing quick bowlers. They've got a bowler, Nathan Lyon, who's able to kind of bowl in any conditions around the world. So their attack, it suits Australia, but I don't think that it doesn't suit anyone else in that sense that you know maybe in India or certainly those pitches in South Africa that we saw are very skewed towards bat or ball you can actually go to Australia and if you put the ball in the right areas you can perform just as well as anyone else so it I don't know I mean are there any reasons in particular that you can point out why Australia just have such a dominant record at home um I don't. I don't really know. Other than Australia get the best out of their home conditions, and, and not that they that Australia's home conditions are particularly, other than the fact that there's extra pace and bounce, they're not particularly and, and extreme. I think, and I think that that's the. Di- I think that that is the difference. That the difference is that the, the the additional bounce. Yep. That you get in, that, in that, Australia. That, that's what really helps Pat yeah. Cummins in particular, right? He hits the shoulder of the bat a lot in Australia and he doesn't hit the shoulder of the bat nearly as often in the rest of the world because the bounces is very, very different, um, particularly if you talk about, you know, traditional side, uh, traditional venues like Perth, uh, maybe even Brisbane, you know, yeah. as, as bouncy venues as opposed to um, venues in Pakistan, for example, or Bangladesh or or the West Indies or, or wherever else in the world that doesn't have that that level of bounce. And I think that's one thing that undoes opposition players a little bit is when it's banged in short of a length consistently and they're dealing with that extra bounce, I think some yeah. some players have trouble making those good decisions. Or- it, it, it's nothing new. It's not, you know, it's not a new practice technique. Nope. But you see, you know, pretty much every side is worried about that. And, and you know, they're taking a slab of marble with them in their training yeah. kit and trying to replicate what those pitches are going to do. So I, I think that that is the deciding factor. And then I think that the secondary component is that their attack has been relatively, well, not even relatively consistent. It's been really consistent over the course of the last eight, nine years. You've got Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, Boland, if he can get a game and Lyon who's what is he 600 wickets or whatever lots 501 um, I think yeah well, five, so someone like Nisa, Nisa who can't get a game who's yeah very, um, very good player as well and, and then yeah look I think that they also know how to you know how to sort of structure the, you know the conditions and the flow of test matches for those series as well um, which is surprising that the Adelaide test isn't the day night one because uh, yeah normally that's a, a field day for uh, mm, has been the last five ten yeah. years yeah 
Um, yeah. So day night game at, at Brisbane, which will do probably equally as much. Oh, it'll go around corners. The ball. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, it'll go around corners in Brisbane under lights. It will be it will be juicy. Yes. So yeah, if you've got plans, um, yeah, uh, for January the twenty fifth. Uh, so that's kind of around Australia Day, isn't it? I yeah, twenty sixth. Yeah, so it could be all over by the end of Australia Day. Yeah, by the end of that long weekend, it'll be all all, all said and done. I think Australia Day is on the Friday. Uh, I wouldn't be buying tickets for the Sunday or the Monday. Yeah, so yeah. we're expecting them to just whitewash West Indies as well. I I think, I think particularly in Brisbane, the result will come early because I think it will favour the ball a little bit that pink test. Uh, particularly if there's um, if there's a bit of weather around in Brisbane, occasionally you'll get kind of real steamy conditions in the afternoon, almost monsoonal like conditions in the summertime. And if it gets a bit moist in, in terms of the humidity, that that pink ball could really go. And if it does late in the day, it could be really challenging for either side to bat. So I think what we'll see in Brisbane is we'll see a lot of runs made early on in the day while it's hot and then maybe towards the evening session no surprise the ball swings under lights so i think that either way uh, australia or the west indies will find it challenging to bat under lights in brisbane in particular that 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 seam attack is amazing though those three guys that, that you mentioned before i mean i i do think that they in a way kind of don't get the credit now that they probably deserve i mean even like stark someone that people like to criticize a lot but mm. he's got 350 wickets now you know nearly 350 wickets at, at 27 it's a pretty remarkable like none of those guys actually average over 27 they've all got you know i think hazelwood's what 249 cummins is 258 it, it's so impressive the the longevity you know that we mm. that we give fast bowlers I think a lot of credit for we have you know someone like Anderson and Broad who we talk about a lot and they they were like that was one of their credits that they were available to play all the time and mm. I think these three as well of uh, like if you can put those three out in the park and Nathan Lyon as well to back you up it's yeah. That, that's very, 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 very good. They bowled some unplayable balls in this series. Uh, Cummins bowled some unplayable balls to Baba Razam, and that one, I can't remember if it was uh, who the opener was that Stark dismissed with the one that swung about 59 degrees <laughs> yeah. in the first over of the game. I mean, how do you hit that? You can't hit that. That yeah, ball was yeah. outside off stump and then swung back in and hit middle stump. Unbelievable. Um, just before we move on from the Australia-Pakistan series and we talk about other cricket, because other cricket has been played in the world so far <laughs> this year and is going to come and play, be played. You know, more cricket coming up. Can I give some praise to the Pakistan um, captaincy from Shan Masood and also the general way in which Pakistan went about their cricket in this series? Because a lot of the time... Other than they're catching. Other than they're catching. Other uh, than they're... And they're batting. And they're batting and they're bowling, other than Amir <laughs> Jamal. Um, no, I thought their captaincy from Shan Masood was good. He was prepared to stand up to Australia and try and attack them a little bit and try and be proactive it didn't come off yeah he didn't have a particularly good series as you said Stewie averaged 30 but um, I think he had the highest strike rate of any of those Pakistan batters during the series he looked like he wanted to take Australia on and then from a captaincy perspective I thought his team um, carried themselves with a tremendous amount of of mana and respect and they played the series in I thought tremendous spirit it's very easy to come to Australia and either just be super hyper aggressive on the field with your body language they were still positive but they played the series with a tremendous amount of respect and i just really appreciated the way that they played their cricket and they actually won hearts and minds for me uh, in terms of the way they played their cricket in that series so i'm really really looking forward to seeing them here in new zealand for five t20s and, and what they can do here mm. good segue into Thanks. the new zealand summer so we have got five T20s, um, so go around the country a little bit as well, Auckland, Hamilton, Dunedin, and then two games to finish the series in Christchurch, back-to-back, -back, uh, Friday and Sunday, the 19th and 21st of January. That series concludes. Um, let, let's concentrate on, on New Zealand, I think, from a uh, squad perspective, first and foremost, Slippy. Um, you know, is this an audition for that T20 World Cup? Is this what is this what we're going to expect to see in the USA and the Caribbean in terms of the the squad list? Do we think? I think. I mean, I think this is certainly much closer to the squad list than the squad that we saw against Bangladesh. And I mean, hopefully, it means we might see better results. Obviously, but but the Bangladesh ODIs and T20s, particularly with the bat, didn't go especially well. But it, it's sort of that balance, isn't it? Like we've got people here clamouring in New Zealand for you know new faces to get people like Willow Rourke and Ben Sears and uh, you know 
Josh Clarkson, and other players to get them opportunities. Well, you do that, and then there's not necessarily you know the the opportunity. You know, sometimes those players don't perform. Although to be fair, I think Sears and and O'Rourke certainly showed themselves to be players that that can withstand that level and can you know contribute and hopefully uh, be players for the future. But I think that when you look at the squad now with Williamson back and Conway back and you know then you know, Mitchell and Phillips who are already there. That's the bones of the side. We've got Matt Henry coming back, which actually will be really interesting to see how he goes. He's someone who we think about him as an ODI player, and and I think still in world terms, he's sort of underrated a little bit in terms of how important he is to our ODI side. But he's now got an opportunity to play in some T20s and maybe put himself in in that that World Cup squad. I think if you look at that 15, Nisham and Bolter are out at you know the IL T20 and South Africa T20. We've got Ratchan Ravindra rested, which has has raised a few eyebrows and has raised Baldy's eyebrows over there. That was going to be my first question. And then you've got you know Kyle Jamieson rested. Mike, you add someone like Michael Bracewell, who's coming back from injury now, played in the Super Smash, got a 40-odd the other day, took two wickets today. So hopefully, you know, he's kind of putting himself back in the mix. And even someone like Will Young, who got 100 uh, yesterday for yeah. CD. You know, my thoughts on Will Young and, and, how, uh, and, and how he should sort of is good enough to kind of always be in and around the mix. And, and there, you know, we've already named 20-odd players that I think will be the bulk of uh, what we're looking for. You know, there might be... I, I can't see bolters making it into this T20 World Cup Other squad. than if their first name is Trent. Well, yes, yes. I think Trent Bolt will be there. I expect I expect that he'll play in this T20 World Cup. And yeah, obviously we've got five against Pakistan right now. Then we've got some against Australia. I think it's three against Australia before the Test Series against them. And then everyone goes off to the IPL. I think we've got some against Pakistan while the IPL is going on. So we might see some of those fringe players, you know, whether that's uh, Nathan Smith, who's been doing really well, someone like Tim Robinson, who's kind of put himself in, in, in lights, uh, this year in the Super Smash, got a big 100 and then a couple of 80s, got an 80-odd today uh, for Wellington at, at, at a very quick pace at the top of the order. So, you know, there'll be a few, na- that'll be another opportunity where we see some new players, but I think this 15 that they've named are probably, you know, m- much more likely to be the squad that kind of goes to the World Cup. Stu, what's more important for New Zealand in the first half of this year? Figuring out who your best 11 out of those 15 or 16 guys are or figuring out of the other guys that you've named Smith and Young and and all of the kind of fringe players, who of those guys are are, are able to get into the New Zealand side and maybe force their way into the 15? Because you said uh, late last year, New Zealand used 37 players last year. That's a lot. That's a lot of players. Are they going to go down the same route this year and see see what Josh Clarkson gives you or, or some of those other you know, not so popular names, or are they going to go? Well, actually, what's our best eleven look like? We're going to try and figure out if it's Phillips or or Chapman or you know Jamison or Henry or those kinds of questions. Do you, you, I've got, you want to add to that? Yeah, look, I've got I've got a view from a neutral, you know, relatively neutral perspective, and I, I think you know what your eleven is for that World Cup, and I think this squad is a little bit of a mix and match in terms of yes, um, you, you wanting to get some cricket into to Devon Conway. Um, probably, you know, Kane has not had a massive amount of cricket coming back from those couple of injuries. So, um, you know, he's going to he's gonna want to play and probably stamp some of that, um, you know, captaincy authority. You want you want your skipper around, particularly when you're you've got some guys that are that are auditioning. But I think when when it comes to the likes of your Will Youngs, I think you know what you're going to get from him. So he's on the depth chart. He might not be in the 15, but they know who he would come into the 15 for mm. um, if there's injuries. I then think you know what you know what it looks like you're doing to, to me is you're picking some of those guys. Ben Sears is only in the squad for the first first couple of games and then Lockie comes in um, so you know I think the likes of Clarks and the likes of uh, Sears um, you know, potentially even a Finn Allen um, you, you know you, you're kind of looking at those guys as they're they're the ones that you want to see whether they're you know that they're, they're going to be on those depth charts come the yeah come the World Cup would be my perception of how that you know how that squad's been picked because yeah clearly Bolt comes in if he's fit Nisham you would think would go um, to the to the Caribbean as as just seeming all round out your, your spins well covered, um, so that, you know that that's how I would read the picking of these squads. You know, I don't know about you. No, I think you're spot on, really, because you know I, it's a weird one because I, I I do really think when New Zealand were when we had this brilliant run of of um, you know performance in the World Cups and and the test the test matches, 
I think you could name our 11 really, really easily. And I actually think that some of the challenges are they've, because of that, they've now decided, like, it is really important to build some of this depth. And, you know, during that time, we had someone like Will Young who sat on the sidelines for a very, very long time and didn't really get many opportunities. And now it's like, okay, well, now we kind of have to create some opportunities for Will Young. And I do think that that has had a negative impact on the actual results. You know, I think when you play 11 players or 12 players that play all the time and kind of know their roles, that was what New Zealand was so good at, that, you know, the the players were better than the sum of their parts because they knew exactly what they had to do. Everyone kind of did their little part. And then when someone shone, it kind of put them above, you know, above their opposition. And I think that now they're having that challenge. I think that, you know, as I said, they play against Pakistan while the IPL is on. Yeah, as they did you know a couple of years ago I think it was so we are going to see that huge number of players I think will happen mm. again but to your point Binksy I think that this 15 or the, this 20 odd players that we kind of just touched on I think that those are the players you know and really they're 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 thinking about uh you know Finn Allen I would say Finn Allen versus v Tim Seifert that's a chance that's like which one is going to get it and you know Finn is so uh, He's such a. I really want him to succeed because I think, and I think the New Zealand selectors do because I think they look at him and see what he does in the Super Smash and go, man, if he can just come off once or twice, he did it in the last T20 World Cup against Australia. He comes off once and he wins you a game. Like it's actually as simple as that. He can just go out and win you a game on his own, just about. And I think that they want that in their side. But, you know, this Bangladesh series. He just keeps getting out for low scores. He's got a clear weakness against left arm seam. You know, Shurafal's got him out, I think, six or seven times that he's bowled to him. He's got him out every single time. We've seen Shaheen get him out. We've seen all the left armers. It's it's a big weakness for him, and everyone around the world seems to know that. So, you know, that's something that they're going to have to decide. And I actually think the seam, the seam attack is probably the other part that they're trying to figure out because... Lockie's been in pretty average form, I would say. He performed okay in that World Cup at, at different times, but again, battled with injury. Sears has shown a little bit. Milne's shown promise, although he didn't bowl especially well in the last couple of games against Bangladesh. But, you know, I think there's a couple of little decisions on the fringes around who will be in those 11s. But, yeah, I think for the most part, like you said, the Conways, the Williamsons, the Mitchells, the Phillips, they're all in the side. And, mm. and they've obviously decided whether... How, that's obviously upset a lot of different people, but I, I think they've decided that Rajan Ravindra is not in their mix for realistically not in their best eleven for the World Cup for T twenty for T twenty for, for cricket. Yeah, that he doesn't kind of fit in any of those particular roles. That they, they obviously don't see him as an opening option because they've gone with Seifert, they've gone with Finnell, and they've got Conway, they've got Williamson to bat three. Daryl Mitchell opened the batting in the. Daryl Mitchell's done it before as well. So and and they they obviously see got likes of Phillips and uh, Nisham and Chapman as better finishers than Rutchen. They see Michael Bracewell as a better finisher spin bowler, Santner as a better finisher spin bowler kind of option. So mm. I just think that as as well as Rutchen played and, you know, he's got this IPL deal, we'll see how he goes in the IPL. I, I think they've got that. The decision that they've made for now at least is he is not in our best 15 T20 players. You're 100% in that Rutchen's opportunity is to nail the IPL and force his way into the New Zealand side from there because New Zealand have a, a, a pretty good set of options in terms of spinning all-rounders, as you said, yeah. and those and those finishing players. To me, that's where the depth conversation is going to be. Is where's your best 11 amongst those guys? Well, yeah. and I think spin's going to be a big part, right? In this huge. Yeah, I think so. The CPL, I, spin I, plays I, a huge role. Yeah, look, I, th- I think spin's going to be a big part. I think the, you're, you're dead right with the Ratchin piece. If he has a good IPL, then that's probably more impactful than him scoring runs in um, five T20s here, here in New Zealand. I think the other thing is that you've got the benefit... Um, the pools have been announced, obviously, for this World Cup as well. Um, so in terms of the way that it works, all the later stages of the tournament are in the West Indies. Um, it, it's only the preliminary stuff that's split between the West Indies and the USA. And you're in the pool that's got 
all the intel on the grounds because you're playing at the you're playing at Guyana, you're playing at uh, St Lucia, and I forget I forget the other ground, maybe Trinidad. So you, there's obviously data on those, and that's where we know it's probably going to turn. There's probably a little bit more jeopardy in terms of those those US stadiums. Yeah, there's not there, a lot not a lot on Dallas da- or New York. Yeah, no. yeah, there's not a lot of data on on, on what's going to go on there. So I think that that's really going to be you're going to be able to set your squad up for that. Uh, whereas potentially some of the, t- the teams in the first half of that draw might need to hedge their bets a little bit in terms of covering yep. those uh, those seam and, and, and spin. 100% agree. Where else do we want to talk about? A bit of Super Smash? Uh, look, I probably touched on most of the most of the people I want to mention with the Super Smash. I mean, yeah, as I said, Tim Robinson's been, you know, one of the stars, star sort of names that, that jumps out that, you know, many people might not have heard of. For, for Wellington, he's been doing great. Nathan Smith is another player who's kind of been in and around the, the mix for, in New Zealand A squads and stuff. But it's actually, he's actually just been signed by Worcestershire for the whole year yeah. for County Championship. Really and good pickup, that is. Yeah, and it, I think it's a, I, I hope it's a, it's a really positive thing for him as well. I think, as I said, he's someone who's been kind of touted for a while now to be pushing for higher honours and, and hasn't you know you look at his averages and they're sort of not quite good enough with the bat not quite good enough with the ball if you're just looking at at pure averages and I, I think if he can have a big 12 months obviously he's doing alright here now in New Zealand if he can then go overseas and do well in the county championship and all of that kind of stuff then he starts being able to say knocking on the door properly and, and getting more opportunities so yeah I think it'll be a, a big year for him and look I mean you know uh, it's the Super Smash is kind of it, it actually is the table is starting to uh, spread out a little bit in the top three and bottom three in, in both the men's and the women's but you know I don't think it's probably worth talking necessarily about teams in general but um, I think the standout player on the women's side has, has certainly been Amelia Kerr who we kind of whenever we talk about New Zealand cricket and we talk about the standout on the, the women's side it, it is usually Amelia Kerr so there's probably not too much to say other than she is just a, a fabulous cricketer awesome Guys, I think that probably does wrap up. We could probably squeeze another 20 minutes of New Zealand stuff. We could talk about uh, Marnus Labashain um, going to the wrong end yesterday. Um, oh, in the in, heat in, game, in, yeah. In the, in the big weird. bash. That, that cost him his wicket. Cost Unlucky, him his Marnus. Wicket, but we won't. Okay, good. Other than to yeah, just mention it very, very briefly. I didn't mention Richard Illingworth getting stuck in the lift. Yeah. Uh, stuck in yeah, so entertainment, entertaining part of that Pakistan series. There you go. Maybe maybe that's on next week's This Week in Cricket. Some uh, yeah, random cricketing trivia from around, <laughs> yeah. uh, around the world. But yeah, jokes aside, lots more cricket coming up. We will have our England versus India test series preview in your feed. All very excited um, for that I, one. I am, yeah, very, very pumped for that series. And we'll talk about the format of the T20 World Cup next week as well. We'll talk about about where all the grounds are and the pools and the teams and all that kind of stuff. I'll do an explainer. We're going to do that next week, are we? Next yeah. week. Well, do you want to do it next week? I think we do it closer to the tournament, oh, don't right, we? Fair enough. Yeah, it'll be in your on your planning session right now. It'll be in in your in your feed very shortly. But we can guarantee there will be England India uh, series preview for that five Test match series uh, coming up. Yeah, we're playing Afghanistan in the T20s now, aren't yeah. they? India and a lot of chat about Rohit and and Kohli and and all the and stuff. Ishan Kishan. Yeah. So yeah, lo- lots to talk about on next week's uh, podcast. But for now, it is good night and good bless from us here in Auckland. Um, we'll be at the T20 tomorrow at Eden Park. Very much looking forward um, to those short, straight boundaries being peppered in a T20 game um, and, a, and a Fritz's wiener and maybe a, <laughs> uh, maybe an Amstel light or two. Um, but yeah, it's good night and good bless from us here in Auckland. We'll see you next week on the Top Order Podcast. Good night. <laughs>